economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Levi Russell, and my colleague, Jacob Michael. Why don't you start us off, Russ? Well, yes, my name is Russ. I'm from Minnesota originally, so if you hear me hanging on to my O's, that's why. Um, I went down to Iowa State University in 1993 and was all but dissertation in 97, and then started getting into real estate and some other business ventures. Uh, eventually finished up my degree there and continued to adjunct teach. Came to Ottawa University in 2011. And so I'm serving in my seventh year. Um, I grew up uh, Catholic and married a Missouri Synod Lutheran. So I uh, was a fairly easy convert. I wasn't uh, uh, too much into the various dogma of the Catholic Church. Uh, no offense to my friends uh, Catholic, one of them being here, but uh, it was a fairly easy switch for me. Um, and so went on and continued to uh, follow in that faith tradition. So uh, I'm married, have a son, and that's probably good for now. Levi, turn it over to you. Sure. So I am uh, originally from Kansas. and I went to Kansas State University for my bachelor's degree in finance and a PhD in economics. I started my career at Texas A&M in the agricultural economics department and spent three years there and then two years at the University of Georgia and just recently came to Ottawa, back home to Kansas. And I am um, <clears throat> I was raised Nazarene and I'm Catholic now. And I'm married with three kids. Cool. Um, I went to Ottawa, my name's Jacob, I went to Ottawa, uh, graduated with a business administration and business economics degree, played on the soccer team for three years. Uh, I'm from Topeka and I was raised Catholic, but we weren't big churchgoers or nothing. And yeah, my story's not as long as you guys's. Well, you're a lot younger, so that's understandable. <laughs> and I'm Jason, I'm originally from Western Kansas, good old Garden City. And I came to Ottawa to get my undergrad in economics and communications, now getting my MBA in finance. And I've been non-denominational my whole life. Okay. So the four of us here make up uh, the new Gortney Institute team. We're still short an undergraduate scholar that we'll be looking for uh, this year. Uh, but the vision was to talk about uh, issues like faith and economics, uh, economic freedom, social justice, and how this all uh, hopefully leads to some human flourishing or the impacts that uh, various types of institutions, governments, and other things play in uh, human flourishing. And so um, I've had a lot of fun exploring these issues really since I started at Ottawa. Um, coming from a state university, it was very freeing actually to come to a place where it was okay to talk about uh, Christianity or God in the classroom if we wanted to talk about scarce resources or natural resources for land, uh, that those could be God-made resources. And um, I tend not to inject a bunch of um, 
Bible verses or Christianity into my economics because there's so much good stuff that you need to cover in economics and I don't want to scare anybody off. But in this podcast, I'm hoping that we can dig into these issues a little deeper and really think about how uh, the work that we do day in, day out um, has a play in uh, overall flourishing and, and the faith that we have. So um, that, is, that is kind of the plan here and the team that we've created. Um, so yeah, Levi has joined forces. He has been all of, uh, shoot, what are you at? Two weeks or are you at a month now? A month. A month, yeah. So uh, it was great to have uh, Levi uh, sign up. And I actually had Jason and Jacob signed up. When was that? Last spring? So you guys have been on board and we started strategizing a little bit uh, before we even knew Levi would be around. So this is great that we got all of us together and have these sorts of discussions. So the topic today is shopping religions. Um, what is the economics of checking out Christianity first? So um, for those of you who are, are still exploring uh, your faith and faith traditions, as you might know, there's lots of religions around the world. Um, the Eastern religions of uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and um, various uh, Christian denominations, which all would fall under Christianity uh, if there's a uh, belief in Christ and I guess, how should I say, the, the, the full-blown way that we'll talk about later. Um, and then, you know, mystics and belief in um, various gods, uh, treating nature as God, um, so all kinds of things, the Greek gods. So there's lots of different ways, you know, is there a higher power or not? Um, that's the sort of thing we want to explore. So if you're questioning those things, um, I've heard some advice from some uh, theologians who, of course, would be a little bit biased, but they suggested checking out Christianity first. And the reason is that it could pot potentially be overturned, whereas most other religions um, are just something that you believe. What do I mean by being overturned? Well, show me Jesus's bones and we'll have something to talk about because a resurrected Jesus uh, doesn't have bones in the earth. So you can kind of start with, um, was there a man on earth named Jesus? And if you start to dig into the evidence, um, there's pretty good support by atheists and, and other people alike of different faiths that there was this guy named Jesus that uh, roamed the earth. Uh, so there's a bunch of historical documents uh, outside of the Bible that uh, point to a man named Jesus. So then uh, you've got the four uh, L's that uh, is another way of looking at was, was Jesus uh, liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. Um, <laughs> I heard, I'm borrowing this from Rod Rosenblatt, uh, who's a um, LCMS, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod uh, theologian and, or uh, professor down in Concordia. And uh, I don't know where he got it from, but I thought that's kind of interesting of people's different views of Jesus. Uh, liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. And of course, Christians uh, profess to the Lord part, and other people might call him a liar, a lunatic, or, or just a legend. So, um, and then you can get to, to Jesus's death. Um, what uh, evidence do we have that he actually died on a cross? Did Romans really do it this way or not? Um, and then finally, the resurrection. Do we have evidence that uh, he came back 
flesh and blood, uh, maybe some holes in his uh, hands, and and uh, but was able to eat some food. And how many people do we have that support that type of thing? So when we get to that level, we're uh, relying more on eyewitnesses uh, that say they were in his presence um, in the resurrected form. And so anyway, just something to investigate. So um, I think if you're thinking about shopping religions, why not start with one that could potentially have some evidence? Um, the other ones, if we get into the mystic religions and kind of beliefs, you're kind of going off people's word that, uh, well, I think the world works this way. I've worshiped the sun god and I got a good tan or, or whatever the case is. But uh, there's not a lot of hardcore evidence. And so from an economist's perspective, uh, we tend to appreciate empirical um, evidence. And so I think an investigation of that might be a good place to start as you're shopping uh, religions. So let me pause there. That's my thoughts. Uh, does uh, anybody have anything to, to add or support there? Yeah, I think uh, it's a good point that you make about empirical evidence and that sort of thing. And it's kind of the, the um, philosophical tension between sort of a rationalist standpoint or an empirical standpoint. So a rationalist standpoint would be, you know, is it uh, does it follow logically, you know? And so, of course, we have, you know, a lot of different attempted proofs of God. And, of course, you know, uh, Aquinas is famous, um, you know, Five Proofs or something like that. Ed Fazer has a recent book out um, called The Five Proofs of God. And um, so those are certainly one way you can go, right? Uh, the unmoved mover and that sort of thing. And then talk about, okay, well, if there's this thing called God, that's the unmoved mover and you can logically deduce that, then why would that God have certain characteristics, you know, Christianity. So I think you can certainly come at it from that angle too. Uh, purely a rationalist perspective. It's, it's not the same thing as a, a mystic right. uh, kind of thing as well. So maybe a third, a third different option there, but, but you're right that, you know, there certainly could be uh, disconfirming um, evidence out there that would uh, make make certain specific claims. Um, well, would it would nullify those? Yeah, it make you think anyway, right? If somebody sure. comes up and says, "I've got Jesus's yeah. bones," of course we're a long ways from saying, "Oh, that's it, I'm quitting Christianity," right. you know. Yeah. Uh, but sure. nonetheless, it would give you give you something to work from. I also forgot to make a disclaimer early that. Uh, both Levi and I are not theologians in the slightest. So um, you're talking to two economists here that as a, as kind of a fun thing, think we would, would talk about that. And so in uh, future um, podcasts and other things, we might interview or have people as guests that are theologians and um, we can take this a whole bunch of different directions, but uh, we wanted to have uh, just an open discussion on, on some various areas and, and think about the, the choices that we have to make in the world we live, and that's where the economics um, starts to come in. Um, and I, I even think there's some some economics uh, up in heaven, uh, which we might get back later with uh, with pre-fall before there was sin. You know, was there some choices to be made? And so we'll talk more about that later. But these, this economics comes into it, I think, uh, in a in a big way. Um, 
especially in our the world we live in. So I want to ask our two students here on campus, what's your feeling about people's faith or lack of faith thereof and how far across the board is it with whether they believe in any God or no God at all or yeah, there's probably a God that I'll think about later in life when I'm older maybe or I think it was pretty pretty wide spectrum. I mean, especially, um, you know, like on the soccer team, you can be as immersed into it as you want. I mean, a lot of people separated themselves from it and the religion wasn't even a part of like their time in Ottawa, but then other people, you know, they're going to uh, like Bible studies every Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of um, as much as religion, I guess you want to get in Ottawa. I find that since Ottawa is mostly college students on that we speak to every day and they're fresh out of high school, just left their parents' house, that a lot of their experiences with religion have come from their parents. Mm -hmm. And so I think college is the time where you start finding your own path. And I, I see that in a lot of students here, that yeah. it's a journey for them, like the start of a journey. Yeah. You know, I listened to somebody at, I think this was at a chapel a year or two ago, and they they were describing what their God was like. And so it was almost like they were having a discussion about what my God is like wouldn't do A, B, and C, which was, you know, maybe the way something was done or handled. My God wouldn't do it that way. And she was very personal about it. But it, it made me think of, do we tend to, do students tend to kind of want to create what works for them and then that's their God? Or is there this belief that there is a, a truth that's needing to be found, if that makes sense? I think it is a little bit about you kind of picking and choosing kind of what you believe in. Um, is, that, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're almost kind of creating God the way you want God to be more so than, you know, maybe the way God works good for you rather mm -hmm. than seeking a true God, a God that's existing. Is that? See, I see, I, I don't know. I, I kind of see the problem with that too. Like it's, I mean, especially like as a Catholic, I mean, there's certain things that like as a younger person, I just don't really feel as inclined to want to, I guess, practice in. So yeah, definitely it's kind of time to figure out, but I don't feel like just because I don't necessarily believe everything, like I, it's like less true of an experience for me. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I think it really comes down to the type of experiences that people have. So if you've had a lot of good in life, maybe that's kind of the way you see God is what's the good he's, he does for you. Mm -hmm. And that, that might be a lot of, and especially the way our generations handle thing is like, how, how does this affect you directly instead mm -hmm. of how you see it affecting the world around you? Yeah. And that might probably be a good explanation for the relationship with God. Right. Right. Well, I know I, I, I converted when I was an undergrad. And so my, my whole thing was converted to Catholicism. Converted to right? Catholicism. Were you yeah, yeah. kind of a fair weather Christian at that point? No. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was raised Nazarene as a kid. And then when you started going to a uh, non-denominational charismatic type church, um, and then I attended a Baptist church for a little bit right before I went to college. Um, but then in college, I, it, it was, for me, it was, you know, so I'd been raised Christian and, and then it was, um, you know, it was pretty big 
part of our life. And my grandpa was a preacher and, and that sort of thing. And so it was, there was definitely, um, you know, it was always part of my, I guess my intellectual, uh, you know, I always think about it as, as part of my, my intellectual thing. So like when you're talking about, you know, people's underlying philosophy, right. Is it, you know, are they, are they looking for this truth that's, you know, so sort of objective, right. And, and separate from them, or do they just want to make, you know, some sort of deity up in their head so that they can feel comfortable about what they're, what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was always an intellectual kind of thing. And so it was always like, okay, does this thing called God exist? And what does it, you know, what does he look like? And so when I, you know, became, started my conversion uh, process or investigation, I guess, um, you know, a lot of it was really, was very cerebral, very logical. And, um, and so that, that, that's what kind of drove my, and so now, you know, my faith is an even bigger part of my life, you know, and, um, and, and so it, it, I would say that having that grounding in something, you know, transcendental that doesn't change, you know, was something I was actually looking for even as a, you know, millennial college kid. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe it's the opposite of what the anecdote that you were talking about. What did you call me. yourself the other day? A uh, uh, um, dinosaur millennial? Oh, yeah, or a grandpa millennial. Grandpa yeah. millennial. Yeah, that's 32. what it was. Because he's, so, yeah. he's right on the edge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So close. Uh, I was trying to remember that. <laughs> I was telling somebody else that you made that reference, which I thought was pretty funny. So you're on the, the older end of the millennials. Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Um, so um, if, if somebody's looking to investigate Christianity first, if they've kind of figured that, hey, maybe, maybe we'll give Christianity a shot first, um, you know, do we start with Genesis or do we start with the gospel? So where do we go with New Testament or out with the old and with the new? Um, so there's some, there's some, people out there that would suggest you start with the gospel. And the reason is that if you start with Genesis and you're a new person investigating faith, you're kind of reading what seems to be possibly fairy tales or stories that seem a little far-fetched at times, right? So God created the world in seven days. It all just kind of came to be. And I go, this is the one I learned in science class. You know, so how do we know that that's not just something, you know, written up by somebody? And so the the words of wisdom are that if you're trying to validate the Bible, in a sense, first investigate whether you think Jesus was Lord or not. And maybe he'll come meet you in the middle somewhere and you'll have a little revelation. If you get that, if you come to think that, eh, you know, maybe Jesus really was Lord, that actually validates the Old Testament because as he preaches in the New Testament, he makes comments or reference back to the Old Testament. So, um, again, in terms of um, logically going through investigating Christianity or other things, um, I think the, the place to start is with the gospel. Um, and that's our Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, probably can jump into any of those, but maybe you just pile right in and learn the, the story and the life of Jesus. And again, check other things. And then if you start to kind of see that, wow, this guy might've been the real deal to help redeem the world, 
now all of a sudden, oh, well, what is this all, where did this all start? Oh, this Genesis story, okay, well, it's, it starts to, he makes comments in the gospel about that, so. Well, one, one thing about that is that, you know, that's, the gospels are sort of obviously what distinguishes Christianity from Judaism, uh, the Old Testament being, right. uh, you know, sort of the, the Jewish canon, and so, you know, you wouldn't start after the gospels because that's basically how, you know, humanity sort of handle things after he was gone. Right. Right. And so, but, you know, also in the, the Old Testament, you know, the thing is that the Bible is a, is a group of books, right? And they're all different. They're not the same type of thing. And so some of them are very historical, but some of them are more allegorical or poetic. And so, yeah, you're right. Starting with Genesis, which is more of a, uh, uh, an allegorical kind of, at least parts of it can be, right? Can be thought of that way. Um, and even the writing style. I mean, that's the, the other part is that, if we read it in English, in English, I mean, the reason why theologians study Greek and, and Hebrew and all these other languages is because they have to read it in the context of the, the time, right? Yeah. And so for them, you know, so it's, I think it's hard for us to necessarily, you know, pick out, okay, well, is this a historical account or is this a, a poetry, you know, kind of thing? And so, yeah, you're right. I think starting with the ones that you can pretty much concretely say are definitely so at least intended to be a historical account and yeah, then judge right, for yourself whether right. they are. Or not. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of funny advice, really, if you think about it, I can't think of any other example where you pick up this book, start in the middle <laughs> yeah. and then right. work to the front or the back or whatever. You can start with the middle right. and go to the end, but you know, some books you say, I'll let, read the last part first and then so yeah. that you know where the book is going and then start at the front, but you really never say to start in the middle. So uh, it's kind of some odd advice, but I, I think, um, and I'm just, again, relaying uh, things that I've heard elsewhere that, that I thought that was kind of neat, neat advice. So anything there? I would agree that I think a lot of it comes down to the writing. Uh, when uh, you're trying to read it, I, I've tried to start it from the very beginning, and it's definitely something that's hard to get into yeah. and hard to really comprehend, especially even just the way they live, let alone the way it's written yeah. is so different. Yeah. So to understand it starting from the very beginning is kind of difficult. Yeah, I have such a different appreciation of it now because I really disliked history, um, frankly, <laughs> up until my 30s probably. I'm 47, I guess, since we threw out an age. So I'm 47 now. I really could care less about history through my, all the way through graduate school. I mean, it was just like, that's ancient history. I'm living today. You know, let's talk about what's going on this year, you know. But once I've started to get into history, it probably started a little bit with economic history. And then you start to really see the patterns. And it is so true with things being repeated that were done historically. So, um, and we see that that's a theme in the, in the Old Testament as well. And, but yeah, to put yourself in that era and try to, you know, learn something about God, it's, for most people, I don't think it's there. So I think a start with the gospel is a, is a good way to do it. All right. Well, uh, let's see, are we getting close to our break? Yes. Okay. So let's, uh, go into our break. Um, during the break, we'll talk about the book that we'll get into more here next, uh, which is How Then Should We Work by Hugh Welchel. So after the break, we'll do that, but we'll talk a little bit about the book during the break.
The Gortney Institute's vision, by 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economics understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. Welcome back from our break. Now we're going to discuss the book, How Then Should We Work? All right, so this is kind of a neat piece that I got to oh, six, seven years ago. I'm not sure when Hugh wrote this. Um, I went to a workshop, a professor workshop in DC for the first time is when I got introduced to it. And uh, he's gonna be speaking at our upcoming event here in the spring. He's one of our guest uh, speakers. We'll be talking about uh, leadership and human flourishing. So I'm real excited to have him there because this book was real influential for me. And um, one of the things I wanted to bring uh, today was, was the kind of starting off in chapter two. There's a lot of great stuff in, in chapter one that just uh, looks at how our work and God work together. You know, what is the purpose of our work? Um, and so that's how he leads us. But the chapter two gets into kind of uh, more of the purpose of relating the Bible to our work. So... He starts off with this uh, four-chapter gospel is what he calls it. I think he borrowed it from somewhere else. And so the four-chapter gospel, as he sees it, is creation. God created the world. Then there was fall. Sin entered the world. Then there was redemption of the world through Christ. And then in the final second coming, there's a restoration of the world. And so if you read from uh, Genesis through Revelation, that's the narrative that's woven through the whole Bible. And it gave me a refreshing look, and he, he really pinpoints it, that most of the time in Christianity, we focus in on what he called the two-chapter gospel, and it's actually the middle two. We pretty much focus in on sin, redemption. Oops, I screwed up. Yay, I have Jesus, right? So we kind of toggle between the tension that we all face day to day, of the fall and redemption part. And the problem with that is it doesn't help us think about this bigger picture that we may there that we're all a part of. Um, and it also calls into question the purpose of our work and our day-to-day -day lives. And that's where the economics comes in is the, the choices that we make and what we uh, choose to do in this world. So um, in the creation uh, narrative, uh, God creates everything. And I always have trouble with, well, um, what about the mountain that's 4 million years old and the gospel, you know, only puts us back, what, or not the gospel, the Bible puts us back uh, six, 7,000 years or something, right? And how does evolution work with all that? Well, my buddy, my buddy Chad Steenhook, I thought, told me the best. I don't know where he got this from, but he said, you know, if you read the creation narrative and you learn about Adam, do we think that Adam was like a little baby and then he grew up into a man called Adam? Or did God just create Adam, right? Did he just 
create Adam. So I think we all believe that he created a man named Adam, right? If we, if we believe the narrative at all, that the, he called into being a man named Adam. And so if he can do that for a man, why can't he do it for a mountain, right? So I'm going to call into being a mountain with the snap of a finger, the speaking of a word, a mountain. Well, we don't think that that mountain had to necessarily start as some formation and worked on itself for 4 million years. He just created a 4 million year old mountain. No big deal. Just like he created a 20 year old man, Adam, or I'm just saying 20 hypothetically. I don't think we have a good detail on that. So I've never had a problem with the mixture of the creation narrative and, and evolution. I think uh, those moving parts are all just part of uh, the creation that, that God put into place. So um, when God created Adam and Eve, he commanded them to go to work. And so um, go be fruitful and multiply, right? I've given you lots of things in abundance, but don't eat the apple, <laughs> right? The one thing that, of course, then leads to the fall. So that's our second chapter. Fall comes in, um, or sin enters the world. And now we've got thorns and thistles, which makes work a lot more tough, the sweat of our brow. Um, you all have been to work where you've got lots of resources at your disposal and work all of a sudden isn't so bad when you A, enjoy what you're doing and B, have lots of resources to do what you wanna do. And I think that was what was intended originally that then got distorted uh, due to sin. Um, and then of course, um, the Old Testament sets the stage work of people for hundreds of years working through this sin and God in some cases being mad at them and um, them trying to do the right thing but then always failing and so then God sent his only son to redeem the whole ball of works so that we could get back to uh, what he ultimately wanted um, but it starts with redemption of the images of God. So in the creation story, we're created in the image of God, and now we need to redeem those people, and that's part of the, of the, of the Jesus part, coming to redeem uh, creation. And then the final chapter is this restoration, uh, the second uh, coming. Uh, we're planning to put this earth back into the way that God originally intended. So the restoration, there, there's theological debate on it, but, you know, is what we're doing today going to be thrown away so that it ushers in a brand new place? Uh, some of the story, what you'll see in this book and what, what I've come to embrace is that there's a lot of good things out in the world too. There's a lot of good. And not everything we do is bad. And so this idea of restoration of the new heavens and the new earth could leave in place the good things that we've already done. So when we're here on earth during our little sliver of time, the work that we do day in, day out is to move towards things that will potentially later be uh, with the final restoration. So that's a quick little overview of, the, of one subsection of this chapter two called the four chapter gospel and it, and it really hit me and uh, moved me to think differently about the importance of our work and where my place was in the world. So let me be quiet there for <laughs> see if uh, that raised any thoughts with you guys on 
work or creation or any of it. Yeah, I think the, the thing that hit me the most when I was reading that part um, was kind of goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, sort of objective versus subjective kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, you, um, you know, I think the Catholic interpretation of the creation part is maybe a little different than what you said, but... Um, but I like the part that he, you know, he kind of makes, he talks about how if you just focus on those middle two, the fall and redemption part, it, it does become about, you know, just you and your everyday thing. Whereas, you know, when you kind of have the bookends on it as well, then you see it from, okay, well, maybe my perspective isn't exactly, you know, correct. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think that's maybe where you can actually just juxtapose, you know, economics and some of this stuff, because I think, you know, good economics is, is generally speaking, going to be subjective, right? People's people, the value people put on, you know, goods that they trade yeah. in the market is subjective, but you know, there is an objective um, end. Right. And, and, you know, I know the, um, the, uh, the, there's a, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of this uh, catacombs in Rome um, where it's, it's a, uh, it's underneath a monastery and it's just, thousands of bones hmm. of monks that have been there and they've they, they have made chandeliers and decorations out of these bones human really bones. yeah really no and and there's a there's a there's a, a, a an inscription on the wall at one point and it says um as you are we once were as we are you soon will be mm -hmm. right and so sort of remember your death kind of thing yeah and, and i think that that fits into this too that you know the there was there was something before you right the creation part and there's going to be something after you potentially right the, yeah. the restoration part and so that has implications for your work you know it's not that work is bad and that you shouldn't you know do things but that you should have this bigger picture in mind yeah um, so I, I like that part yeah it gives you the idea of purpose and I think the the idea of community uh, uh, plays a bigger role here on and the and the impersonal connections that we do in the marketplace where I rely on people that I don't know to give me a steak dinner. Uh, so the economics behind markets and really seeing people interact even if they don't know each other. So I, I think that is part of this grand, I would call it divine marketplace that actually coordinates behavior of people with the purpose of developing cultures and developing nations and de subduing the earth and, and making things out of things that were initially endowed with us, right? So God yeah. created the earth and we're called to be sub-creators, to do something different. And uh, in that respect, we've done a lot. If we look at the last um, sure. 2,000 years of progress, um, it's pretty neat to see what, what we can do. So. Any thoughts or comments there from Jason Jacob crew? So when does it become like too much? Like what about things that we do that cause like pollution stuff that, you know, it brings us progress, but there's also, you know, the bad side to it. You know, is there like a limit? Yeah. Um, so I think being a good steward of the resources is where that comes okay. in. So we're called to be good stewards of what God created. And so, yeah, if we're polluting, we're not being good stewards. So we should be having a longer term perspective and a, and a shorter term perspective. And I think that ties into this overall narrative as well in that uh, some rational homo economist attitude is that I only look out for myself, right? Or I could be very selfish or maybe even 
I care about some people that are tight to me, but eh, the environment that'll happen, that's going to kill people like 200 years from now. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Well, this calls us to think differently about that, that we should absolutely care what it looks like a thousand years from now, that we don't know when that end is coming, but we're called to do something good in the little sliver of time that we're spending on the earth. And I think kind of part of where economics can come into that too, I think, and maybe a little, you know, not, not just the very narrow sort of optimization decisions, but looking at institutions, right? And so, you know, defining property rights or using something like from Eleanor Ostrom's work of, you know, sort of not governmental necessarily, but also not purely market or, or, or private, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of more voluntary, but, but not necessarily market-oriented solutions to problems like that. Uh, and also keeping in mind that, you know, we have an information uh, concern as well, that there's not, um, you know, we don't, we have, we have a limited amount of information about, you know, how those things will play out over time. And so there's, there's constraints and, you know, just because you take those decisions out of the market, you know, it doesn't mean that the government's just automatically endowed with the information to, you know, make those trade-offs. Right. So. Right. Okay. Um, so how then shall we work? Uh, we will continue to talk about this chapter in our uh, next episode. And uh, we're going to start off with the cultural mandate and, and what that means. It's uh, the fruitful and multiply part of Genesis and uh, how literally we should take that um, and how that relates to the, to the choices we make uh, day in and day out. So. Uh, this has been fun. Good way to kick off and uh, we can see we'll have a lot of uh, different topics. And again, I apologize for any uh, heavy theologians out there. We're just, um, we're just a couple economists here that want to kick around some ideas of faith and economics. And uh, we do it a little bit on the side, but uh, economics is really where our expertise is. So as we start to encounter different areas in the Bible and different areas in the books, We'll try to shed light on how uh, we think um, markets might play a role in a divine way um, and whether what the role uh, from a biblical perspective of, of how much of it should be a government-driven thing, how much of it should be a collective of people-driven thing and voluntary associations, and how much we can just let those individuals run wild with their own thoughts and, uh, and the, the rule of law and natural how that relates to natural law and these ten commandments that came down is there anything to be taken away did 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 god uh, expect us to have some freedom or do we have to mind our p's and q's real closely with every movement and be fearful that what would jesus do that's a heavy burden and that's a fun topic that we'll talk about later i'll just give you a little highlight uh i have to agree with some other Lutheran theologians that the what would Jesus do movement maybe wasn't the best uh, movement out there. So a lot of fun stuff to talk about and we'll just see uh, where this stuff all lies. A lot of good discussions to be had and thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you on the to having you on the next episode. If you'd uh, like to donate some funds to the Gortney Institute uh, to continue having podcasts and discussions like this 
you can go to our uh, page www.mortonyinstitute.org and that'll actually connect you to a little more sophisticated page on our Ottawa University site. So you can go either way and uh, we'd love to have you uh, support what we're trying to do here and reaching out to uh, students and the community and, and uh, people of all walks of life to think about faith and economics.